0: This week, I hear a ghost voice in the super-historic Fort Niagara's Chapel. Am I crazy? Yes, but not this time, because there was witnesses. Now, Fort Niagara is a beautiful, beautiful place. I absolutely adore it. I've been there maybe three, four times overall, and I ran a couple of bus tours back in the day that went out there. And that's when the experience happened inside the chapel. But this place is super unique. I highly recommend it. If you're not familiar with it, look it up. Go visit it. I mean, the history of this place, how it's set up, the buildings themselves. It's, it's just wonderful. Because you don't get that kind of history here. You know, you come to Canada and it's like a very young country not a ton of history here you know you have the native history which wasn't really recorded so we don't know where things occur there's no stories you can read there's might have been legends that have been passed down through the generations but even with the legends i don't think they were properly communicated unless i'm wrong maybe somebody can correct me on that in uh because there's a very strong uh six nations history near my home city of hamilton if you go up to caledonia cayuga that area very strong history so i wonder if legends were passed down through the generations like again if anybody knows any stories i'd love to hear them but when it comes to the you know extremely long history the british weren't really in canada for all that long i mean british history only goes back in canada to the 1700s and that gets into the mid to the late 1700s and then there wasn't a lot of massive structures that were created during that time so the feeling that a good ghost investigator seeks out is when you go into an extremely old location and historic buildings they have personalities to them you can feel it when you walk in Just go to any museum. Go to a museum inside of a 200-year-old house, for example. In Hamilton, there's Dundering Castle. It has that feel. And when you walk into the house, I mean, there's just this, this energy that exists. And the historic houses, they have it. Newer houses, not so much. And I do believe. I believe the people who have lived in there over the generations, their energy has kind of, you know, seeped into the structure itself. And as long as there's not, you know, major tragedies, like tons and tons of tragedies in the history something, you know, very over the top that occurred inside the building, you know, violence and and murders and whatnot, then it's it's not going to have a bad energy hanging over top. Because the majority of an experience inside of a historic house was family, was connection, was love. So if you're sensitive to this stuff, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, you know, next time you go into a museum or into a historic house, maybe one of your friend or family owns one, just feel for that. The energy is different. You know, And in a lot of cases, it feels more comfortable. It feels more homey. You know, you just, there's a place that you want to stay and and spend more time inside of. You know, this is what uh, that history offers. But you go to a place like Europe... And that history, like a historic house, can go to the 16 or the 1500s. But here in Canada, like I said, you know, late 1700s to the early 1800s is your oldest. But the majority aren't to the late 1800s. So when you have Fort Niagara, which is not in Canada, technically, disclaimer, it's over the water. So we do the tour in Niagara on the lake. And when you go down to the gazebo, you got Lake Ontario, that leads into the Niagara River. And if you look from that shoreline where the gazebo is, you can actually see the castle building of Fort Niagara. If I were to, if I were to give like a distance, I would say like maybe less than half of a kilometer. So it'd be something that, you know, a, a strong swimmer could easily swim across. If you have a rowboat, you could easily get across to it. So we, we consider them honorary Canadians. That's not how they felt back in the War of 1812. During the War of 1812, they were not even, (laughs) it was more of like, uh, get out of here, we don't like you kind of situation. But um, now they're honorary Canadians. So there's Youngstown, New York, the tip of it. And then you have Fort Niagara sitting on that because Youngstown itself is actually further inland and Fort Niagara was placed there historically. So they put the park around it. So if you ever visit Fort Niagara, you got to drive through this massive park to get there and that's like where the um the soldiers marched through because there really wasn't where anywhere else to go because it kind of comes up like a peninsula it's just like this area that's you know jetted out from the mainland so yeah you can see the castle building if you go visit it fort niagara is very original much of the history still remains but the castle building itself is the anomaly because it's extremely old it's almost 300 years old which is insane for this region so it wasn't built by the British because they weren't there at that time it was built by the French so 1726 they built the castle But that's not where the history starts now, the French were in that area much longer the foundations of the castle building date back to 1678 so even, even more back than that, which is just insane when you consider that this was the the new world. And I don't even think, um, you know, like the, the discovery of it and to be able to actually come and build forts and build buildings. You know, 1678 for the northern part of the United States is, is a long time ago. So uh, Fort Conti was there in 1678. And the French they were actually very respectful of the native americans you hear a lot of the stories where the natives were being mistreated by the british and this is true in some regard it's also false in other regard that you had some british generals and groups were anti-native and they treated them very poorly but then there was other ones that were very close to them and they worked together with them, such as um, John Butler, who I'm going to be talking about in a moment. But the French, when they came in, I don't know what they thought behind the scenes, but in, in, in the front of it, they, they were very respectful. They wanted permission. They did consider the lands to belong to the natives. And in this case, the French in the 1600s, they approached the Seneca people. And They asked them if if we can build a fort on the land and they got that they got that permission So Fort Conti starts there from 1678 The years go by eventually we get to the early 1700s and then these plans are put in place to put this massive Castle structure now when I say castle It doesn't look like a medieval castle it's a um, three-story three-story structure that's uh very long so it's it is a massive building it would have it would have taken a long time it was definitely something amazing for its time so they they go and they get um this french architect to design it and i saw the name and i was like am i gonna try this or will i just like write it in the description and let you guys try and read it but i'm gonna do it it's gonna it's gonna make me look ridiculous but I'm going to try and say this guy's name. So get ready. <clears throat> <clears throat> Gaspard Joseph chause gros Delary. So Gaspard Joseph chause gros Delary. And anybody who's a native French speaker, please stop laughing. I did my best. <laughs> so that's the guy he's not just the architect of the castle but he's actually considered for for, on the canadian side he's famous on the canadian side Uh, he's considered the father of canada's first true architecture now how far back does this go he established both fortifications in montreal and quebec city now montreal uh, they have quite a bit of history in relation to the wars but quebec city that that's on a different level uh if you've never been i highly recommend you know discover your country if you're canadian and quebec city with its history is absolutely stunning uh not the best restaurants in the world so you know choose wisely but the actual city is so very cool because it has the original walls around it it has the fort that that watched it was like a european city that they had the walls just in case there was ever an attack the city and the people in the city could be protected and a lot of those original walls still exist the history at Quebec City is just so cool highly recommend a visit so he's the guy he's the guy who designed all of that so then he comes up with this amazing design for this castle building at Fort Niagara which was occupied by the French so they didn't really see the borders as we see them today the Niagara River being kind of like a natural border between Canada and in the united states uh, if anybody's crossed over at niagara falls you know what i'm talking about so they didn't see it like that they they just kind of occupied all of that space i guess they had you know established themselves quite well that's why the natives seemed to be used to them and probably were okay with them Uh, so he does up these blueprints which by the way the blueprints for the fort niagara castle still exist and guess where they're kept they're at the Louvre in Paris. Yes, the the famous art museum in Paris. That's where they are currently. I don't think they're on display because I don't think anybody would really care as much as I do. I, I care too much sometimes. But they're probably in the back. You know, the old saying is that most of the best stuff in the Louvre is, is, is kept in the basement. So that's probably where they are. I'm sure they're being kept safe. So he comes up with the blueprints. He gets it uh, put into place, gets it built, and this establishes this major fortification on that you know kind of river line. And I guess I guess they thought they could. Well, the natives occupied Niagara on the Lake before the the British before Butler came over, so I guess they could figure they could uh, easily row over if they needed to, or they could, uh, you know watch over Niagara and the Lake from that location. So either way it was it was an advantageous situation for them. And then Fort George wasn't built there until before the War of 1812, and that's when the British had already occupied that entire area. Now this isn't the subject of the show, but there's a very well known legend that exists inside of Fort Niagara. We talk about it on the tour It's the headless soldier so I'm just gonna summarize it very quickly is this supposedly during the the French time when the French occupation was there you had this party that was held and native women attended the party so two French soldiers try to catch her attention and they had competition they get angry at each other they're both very drunk a sword fight ensues and uh, in the end one soldier ends up killing the other and to hide what he had done he was going to dismantle like you know dismember the body and throw the pieces into the lake but instead he just like gets the head chopped off and and then you know somebody's coming down he's about to be caught so he picks up the headless body and what does he do he throws it into the well so on the first floor of fort niagara there's this well on the inside the well is actually on the inside And he throws the body down there. And because of it, he got away. So they say that the headless soldier now haunts the well. And on nights of the full moon, that's when he's seen. Now that legend has been told since the French occupation, which makes it one of the oldest legends in all of North America. It's a very popular story that has been passed throughout the years. So just to get an idea of how historic this place is, to have such a palpable legend associated with it too and if you ever you know go visit it when like you feel it you feel that energy that I was talking about earlier inside that building being 300 years old it's it's very high the energy is very high and if you're going to have a real paranormal experience inside any haunted place you know that's probably going to be it i mean a place like that 100% over in europe for example i mean some of the more historic places where violence occurred you know you know you almost guarantee like the the townspeople talk about hearing voices or screams coming from it on a regular basis and this is just like you know so many people in places like that they just believe they don't understand why other people can discount the idea of spirits they just believe and they also know not to piss them off so they'll hold back because they're scared that the ghost will, you know, come get them and cause them problems. So it's not a question whether they exist or don't exist. It's just the question of, you know, how do I respect it and keep it out of my life? And I find that very amazing. And I think for Niagara comes close to that kind of feel of history. Now, another little uh, couple pieces of history, just to give you again an idea of what's gone on there. A guy named John Butler now I don't think I've talked about him in the past and as well technically he is not featured on the Niagara on the Lake ghost walk he did make an appearance on the dark history tour that may or may not come back this season but he wasn't featured on the ghost walk itself but he's the guy who founded Niagara on the Lake and before he came over with his people he was camped out at Fort Niagara so Fort Niagara was his home. Uh, It was him, his butler's rangers, which during the American Revolution, uh, him and his rangers and the natives that they associated with, which included, by the way, Joseph Brandt. You don't know who Brandt is. Uh, He is um, Brantford. The city is named after him. And as well, he was a very well-known native general from back during the Revolutionary War, he was in Burlington for the longest time. That's why the Joseph Brandt house is there, which is only a replica, but it's where his house used to be. The hospital is named after him, which is kind of ironic considering that <laughs> he had to flee. Like, Sorry, he didn't flee, but it was after he was dead, the natives came down and retrieved his body because Burlington was so taken over by British They felt that he deserved that. And they lifted and they moved him to what would become Brantford. So Joseph Brant, the Butler family, all interconnected. And during the Revolutionary War, they were the loyalists that fought to try and keep British rule in the United States. And as our American friends know, they failed quite terribly. So Butler and his family and his men and the natives as well it wasn't just the 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 british folks there was a huge population of natives that were along for the ride they all end up at fort niagara and eventually they get into boats and they go across to what is eventually would be called niagara on the lake so the town of niagara on the lake uh, was mostly a native settlement at the time and then then butler comes over with his people now this is when the infamous barter occurs and i really don't know the details behind it and i don't think anybody really does know i don't think there's like a an accurate depiction of what happened in this moment but then you hear the story of um the natives who occupied the region i forget which which tribe it was that they were offered a bunch of suits of clothing and in turn to give up the land it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, if you if you hear ghost stories that are a little over the top and you think back and you think, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. This is This is a historic story that doesn't make any sense. Why would they agree to give up their home? Like they've settled themselves on that land. I believe they also violently took the land before the British got there. I don't know if there was some kind of threat associated with that. I might be missing something in this. If anybody knows, let me know. But they supposedly gave up the land for, you know, a few hundred suits of clothing, which doesn't make sense. Anyway, I digress. But, you know, there wasn't any, you know, violence that I know of, you know, John Butler and his family and the the, the people he's associated with, including a bunch of natives as well. They then make their home on that land. And it goes through many, many evolutions and eventually getting to be niagara on the lake today i i know saying many many evolutions is throwing a ton of history out but that's not the focus of this specific show but one of the evolutions was something quite significant known as the war of 1812 now john butler was dead by then the war of 1812 uh, started up at that time you're gonna know that newark which is now niagara on the lake would be a central point for this, not only because the Americans occupied Fort Niagara, which can look right across to the Canadian side. I mean that, that was a huge threat, but just in the in the different areas that they could cross over, like down the Niagara River, it was it was a big problem. So you have Fort George, that was built on the shoreline up on the hill, so that it would have the height and make give it an advantage to shoot down on its enemy and the town was protected by that wouldn't work out i mean if you read the history come on one of the tours you'll know it didn't work out and it was unfortunate but you know the the taking of niagara on the lake the brutal battle that occurred so quickly there when the americans attacked by water it almost turned the tides. It almost gave the war to the Americans. So very close that Southern Ontario, at least, would have been the 51st state. It was very close. And if it wasn't for battles in Stony Creek and Lundy's Lane, where it was kind of like, especially Stony Creek, where they thought the Americans would easily win it, but the British, through strategy and a night attack, they they won that battle. And because of this, they say they, that kind of swayed the war in their favor. And then, you know, they come back for Niagara-on-the-Lake. So very robust. Very violent history. Tons of energy. So it leads me to the experience. Now for this, and go back to my investigative days. This is back in the day. You know, this is going back at least... You know, 15 years ago, give or take I used to do these things called bus trips, like ghost bus trips uh, tours, sorry I, I wanted to call them the tours even though they were technically trips but because it sounded funny uh, ghost bus tours, like ghostbusters but yeah, no I did. trips kind of stuck at one point and two of them were set to go to Niagara Falls, so then the original idea behind it was you pick the most haunted areas and then you have one or two places where you can actually get off the bus and go do something and at the end of the night there would be a major investigation so everybody could get off the bus and we have some tools and whatnot and they'd they'd go into a haunted place and into the wee hours of the evening say midnight 1 a.m whatever they can investigate you know freely wander it was quite popular not my favorite of the events but I know a lot of people enjoyed them. So, a couple of the trips were set up into Niagara, and the perfect location to end it was Fort Niagara. I mean, it's right in the name, it says Niagara. Now, the downside was it was over in the United States. However, because it's such a haunted place with amazing history, uh, I thought it was perfect. A little side note if you ever decide you want to do an event in the United States and you're Canadian, be very careful with that. <laughs> I remember we were going over. It was the very first one we did, so we didn't know what the rules were at the time. We didn't like look it up in advance. My younger days. And when we were going over the border, uh, my partner at the time, uh, her parents were driving us in. And I guess her father let it slip by mistake that we were doing an event at Fort Niagara and I remember, the I think the guy asked, oh, are you running it? And he was like, yeah. So then the guy thought about it for a second. He's like, you know, what? you just, you should pull over, pull over in front of that building and go inside. We need to talk to you about something. And I was sitting in the back. I'm like, crap myself. I'm like thinking, oh, something's bad is about to happen. We have this event that's about to occur with like a lot of people that were coming out. And, uh, yeah, this was outside of the bus tours, by the way. So it's not like we were bringing them over. They were coming to meet us, which I think that was the biggest mistake that actually might've gave birth to the bus trips if I'm thinking correctly, you know, it made it more sense. But anyway, we said that to them, we go inside and we actually get this, this border guard, uh, handsome fellow, I, I would say, uh, looked like Kevin Costner. And, uh, he, he was, he was really nice like super nice about it and uh, the my partner's mom was very charismatic and In the end he was like, you know, I I can't really do anything. I'm not gonna stop you guys He said if I if I try and stop you guys then uh, Fort Niagara is gonna complain to their aldermen or whatever and then we're gonna get in trouble So, you know go do the thing just next time make sure you follow the rules and we're like yes, sir Anything you say sir. Thank you so much, sir and we got to, we got to leave. So it was really interesting way to start the night and I think that night was also very active inside the fort. But it wasn't that time. It was another time when we were doing one of the bus tours. I remember because we had partnered with a fellow named George. Now George ran a paranormal group from Toronto and I didn't realize it at the beginning but he wasn't an investigator. And this this is this is crucial because it is it's the same thing today in some regards but back then especially is that some marketers would think okay this is a very popular thing to do and they kind of jump back and forth in different fields they don't have any experience in it they they might have looked up some videos maybe read a couple books and it was like this is how a paranormal investigator should act this is the stuff they should do and I'm pretty sure that's who this guy was Didn't have any history with investigating locations. Didn't really seem to even have a love for it. Super nice guy. Great marketer. I remember he was the reason I met... uh, I got to meet Ryan Buell of Paranormal State. I got to meet uh, Lorraine Warren and Tony Spera. And that was because of this guy. He was bringing them in for all these events. So on this one, he came with us to Fort Niagara. He had uh, maybe a couple people from his group that he brought. Uh, I think they were just co-workers. And then we had the majority that we got through our uh, business to do the trip. So we get there, get off the bus, go into Fort Niagara. Uh, Ray, the manager, he's the guy who welcomes in. This guy here, he was a huge believer in ghost stories, and he loved... Having us there he loves having any investigators in the building unfortunately he's not the manager at Fort Niagara anymore he was just a really sweet guy even brought homemade wine one evening like he makes his own wine and he brought it in to to give to our people it was so wonderful so he lets us in sets it all up everything's perfect people can wander they can go into any of the buildings it's nighttime the place is super creepy there's the water, you're looking over and you can see the gazebo over in Niagara and the lake and you're thinking, oh, no, it's just over there, that's cool. So the night's going pretty good, it's pretty active. And then we end up in the chapel. That wasn't the whole group, just a small group. I guess there'd be about 12 of us and you know, and then myself. Maybe I made lucky 13. Maybe that's the reason why all this happened. So we're standing in the chapel. I didn't know at the time. I knew this room was interesting, but I didn't know how energetic it was at the time. Now I know next to the well, it's probably the most you know sought-after and energetic spaces inside the entire castle. They call it the Jesuit Chapel, and because of how old the building is, they also believe, it's not proven, but it's believed, that it's the oldest military chapel in the entire United States. And if it's the oldest in the United States... I'd consider the oldest in Canada as well, maybe not in Mexico. So at least in Canada, the United States, you can't say all of North America, but definitely the oldest. So interesting from that history and how it's set up, I'm going to put a historic picture as the thumbnail for the show, but if you can look up the picture of it, it's this um, stone room and then on the entire back wall is covered with an altar. And there's a holy water font. There's the altar, which today they're not original. Unfortunately, I guess maybe they fell apart. They're just replicas. So the replicas were rebuilt in the 1920s, but they're exactly the same. So the photo I'm going to make as the thumbnail of this show, that's an original historic photo of how the altar looked. And if you were to go there today and you know hold the photo up and have the altar directly beside it, you would see no difference you might even assume that that is the original because it looks old so they did a wonderful job whoever did the replica on that deserves a good pat on the back so we're inside 12 people me number 13 and uh standing there doing our little investigation and george i mean this is a very outspoken guy he was great with crowds And, you know, I was, I was there, but I was letting him kind of take the lead. My younger days, you know, I didn't push for it. I was technically the host in that moment, but I just let him take the lead because people love the guy. So he's there, he's doing, he has, um, EMF detector, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and he's standing there and he's trying to talk to the, um, to the spirits of the room, doing a bit of investigation. So you tell the group, you know, stay quiet you know, listen, you know, let's see if we can make something happen, you know, spirit, are you here? If you are, you know, make a noise, do something, we might have had a candle or something, you can make the candle flame move, and then you just see what occurs, try and stir stuff up. Now, most of the time, you're just going to assume it's subtle. Very rarely is it ever over the top. Like, uh, if you're looking at a candle flame, for example, you can say, oh, if you're here, can you move the candle flame to the left? Can you move the candle flame to the right? And the reason for this is most ghostly energies are very weak because they're not meant for this material realm. So if they're not over the top with energy, if they haven't figured it out of for forever reason it is, you know, see the unknown for a reason is that, you know, they're not going to make major things occur. And for that reason, you know, a candle flame, for example, or a um, mag light where the top part's been unscrewed so that it can kind of, you know, just a slight nudge can kind of make it flicker. These are the things that you have to give it, you know, electricity and the candle flame. Those are very subtle. So that's what you expect or you expect nothing at all. And this is what we expected standing inside that chapel as George, with a big smile on his face, keeps saying "ghost" or "spirits," if you're here, you know, do something to prove it. And over and over again, and then it was almost perfect. I mean, if it, the spirit that made the noise timed it to a T, and I'm still amazed by that today. So, as George was talking, he then kind of lulled. He's like, "If you're here, do something." And uh, there was this lull. And everybody else in the room was also very quiet. It's just like the perfect moment. And that's when we hear it. Now understand where I'm located in this situation. I'm closest to the altar. Because we had the altar. was kind of on the end of the room. The door's on the opposite end of the room. That's where the 11 people were standing. George was directly in front of me. So I'm the one that's on the i'm the farthest away from the door to get out <laughs> i'm in the worst possible position for that nowadays i would love it nowadays i would just stand there and try and make more stuff happen but back then i was still freaked the hell out about this kind of stuff so it freaked me out so the minute george stops talking everything in the room goes quiet and from behind me i think it was also a little bit to my right i heard the voice now, keep in mind, this is not possible because there wasn't a lot of room behind me. You know, no, nobody could have run up behind me, made the voice, and somehow sleeked out into the darkness because the only exit from that room is either the window and a two-story drop to the ground or the door on the opposite end, which you'd have to run through everybody else to get through. But yet, it occurs. So this I mean, there's, there's just no denying this. There's no questioning it. So behind me and to my right-hand side, I hear a man's voice. And what does he say? He says, George. The name George was said behind me and to my right voice I did not recognize. I definitely knew it was a man's voice. And it was loud enough for everybody else to hear too. I think the folks in the back who are closest to the door, they heard something, but they didn't know what it was. But everybody who was at the front of the altar and George himself, who was standing there to hear his own name being called out, <laughs> everybody freaks the hell out. I, I don't I don't think there was any screaming. I think it was more one of those, you know, there's two ways you can react to a spirit. There's the, ah, ghost, and then everybody else starts screaming. Or there's a, nope, 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 no, no, as you're quickly getting out of the room. It was the second one. It was the nope, 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 nope. So everybody else reacts that way, just quickly filing out of the room. I remember George. I think he turned a fun shade of white when it happened, and he left. I I hightailed it out too because again, I'm in the worst possible position there. I I don't know if anything was going to grab me or something, but I was I was really worried about it, so I get out of there too. But I'm not the type that was gonna freak out like noticeably. I, I I usually keep it in, so I'll feel the the freak out on the inside. I'll be scared as heck, but when we get out, I'll I'll keep myself calm. That's just how I roll. Nowadays I wouldn't be as freaked out, but back then I was. So then I'm talking to George, and George's like, what "Did you what? Did you hear that? What was that?" And I'm saying, "So it's, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, you know, let's just stand out. Let everybody calm down." and i think everybody was kind of talking with each other saying Dude, what happened what you know what did you hear and we're all freaked out so in that moment I, I i i controlled the situation a bit and i just kind of said everybody okay let's just catch our breath and after a few minutes we went back into the room so then tried to set it up again i did not stand on the altar i will admit that I stood down closer to George, who was at the bottom as well, you know, looking over his shoulder, but we were standing there. We tried to recreate what happened before and nothing. It just didn't come back. I think at this point, it's just thinking we're wanting it to dance, to entertain, nothing. Room actually didn't even feel haunted at that point. So Sometimes when these situations occur, it feels palpable in the room, but that had left as well so this this energy had come through and was gone but it could be partly the way we reacted to it as well you know especially if it was trying to be nice if it thinks that it scared the crap out of a bunch of people i'm sure it'd be embarrassed at that point and just kind of took off but yeah, know whatever it was i mean it was a male voice so it could have been a former soldier maybe a french soldier I do remember a lot of the um, communications that we did inside there uh they would come through in the french language and sometimes we would have somebody in the group who could speak french you know in canada multilingual you know i i'm not one of them unfortunately i, I know a few words but nothing major but sometimes you have them in and then the ouija board would spell out french words and they could translate for us The most interesting thing is when that happens is a lot of the time the people who are using the board didn't speak French. That's really cool. So the people who are actually touching the planchets didn't speak French, yet it was spelling out French words that somebody else could translate. That's a good way to prove whether the Ouija session is the real deal or if it's just somebody that's kind of pushing around the planchet. So that sits on a list of multiple times where i've heard a ghostly voice that couldn't be explained but that's definitely up there at the top still amazed with it to this day i mean like what it knew the name george i mean george is an old style name if it was a british or an american soldier who was killed i mean speaking english george well, even uh george in the french language exists right Is it George's or something? I know there's a saint that might be like that. So I can see, you know, it would know the name. And in the second most haunted location inside the building, you know, just the right time, the right situation, the right number of people with 13, me making the 13th, of course, sitting in the worst possible spot for this to happen. Now, I, I believe it. I mean, and considering I was there, I have to believe it. But I mean, there's no question in my mind that something ghostly happened I mean, the only thing i could think is if somebody came in and and put a speaker out now this was before bluetooth speakers i'm pretty sure i mean it wasn't wasn't like a common thing if anything at all so there wouldn't have been a bluetooth speaker if somebody ran a wire or some type of wireless i wouldn't i wouldn't even think that's possible because we were the the first ones to go into the room and it wasn't pitch black Because we had some lights lit. you had some candles going. So the area wasn't like pitch black as well. So I would have seen something in that space. And when everybody ran out, nobody went back in. So I questioned that. It's like nobody went back in. If they retrieve the speaker or the device that made that noise. I mean there's really no way to question this for me. So out of, I mean this experience in general is just 100% legit in my mind. And I don't think that will ever be disproven. Okay, a couple of ghost questions for you, and then I'm out of here. Uh, first one here, I'm, I'm trying to make them related to the show's subject matter. This one's perfect. Why consider Fort Niagara one of the most haunted places around? It makes sense. You think about it, right? Is the way I've talked about it and this history, and because it's so old, it is definitely one of the most haunted places around. I'd say, you know, in the span of north america at least in the united states and canada that you could consider it at the top of one of those lists it doesn't get a lot of you know press like some of the other places like mansfield reformatory or trans allegheny lunatic asylum or west virginia pen it doesn't get the same amount of press but it's definitely up there it's more historic to start with and what occurred there in many cases could be considered more violent but it's because we don't have a legit documentation of that history to prove it to you guys that it'd be a hard one to prove. So maybe that's one of the main reasons it doesn't get that kind of uh, press, that kind of street cred. It doesn't come because of that. But yeah, definitely, because of its long and violent history, it's almost 300 years that it's existed. And as well, it's pulled much violent energy towards it because it's a war fort. And the deaths that occurred there. Uh, I'm sure men were tortured there as well. Uh, the changing of hands. It started out as French. It became British. It became American. And then eventually became British again. And finally became American one more time. It's been American ever since. That type of history. The conflicts. The conflicts that would have occurred during that the legend that surrounds it i mean that kind of history mixed with the violence that occurred mixed with the time that it's been on this planet so the energy of the people going into it also mixed with the fact that it was a fort so people live there Uh, you know men and i'm sure at times women and children also they would live there they would occupy the buildings castle building of course being the main one so it is this is i mean it just has that energy makes complete sense i mean go over to europe with the war and the violence that occurred definitely more common there you know the historic buildings dating back five six hundred years definitely more common there but this is our version of that so why is fort niagara one of the most haunted places around it's because of that history it's because of what it stood for you know, it didn't come on this planet as a, a a place for cute puppies. If it was a place for cute puppies, then you probably have a lot of dog ghosts that you'd feel <laughs> inside there, but you wouldn't have a lot of violence. It wouldn't be a palpable place. And violent and tragic energy tend to create stronger ghosts. So where you have more tragedy, you tend to have more ghosts, which I mean, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Emotional energy, is stronger than non-emotional energy that's what leaves the impression whether it's conscious or just residual that's the question but just from a viewpoint of history and a viewpoint of occurrence fort niagara definitely should be on the top of that list of the most haunted place in the united states and maybe even in the united states and canada okay so another question here Uh, What was the investigation of Fort Niagara like? Now, this was interesting because it was back in the early days of investigation. Like, you know, back then I kind of saw it the way the, the TV show saw it. There wasn't a lot of investigative shows. They came around a few years later with like Paranormal State and Ghost Hunters and all those. But I, I kind of knew that you know you, you had to entertain a crowd and you know they needed to enjoy it, but also in turn, you wanted to be a legit investigation. So there's always a balancing act that needs to be done there. And I know some folks when they go and do these investigations that some of the stuff that occurs during them is faked. You didn't hear that from me? And I'm not talking about anybody specific, but, you know, this is a reputation that was very well known in the investigator community. And we didn't want to be like that because I know you had the investigators who were like the, the purists, you know, you go to a residential place, you investigate it for ghosts, you never charge a fee, which we never did. And you were there to help people. That was the purest idea. But then you had the other ones were the investigators who charged a fee, which was almost like on the level with scamming. And then you had the other ones who ran events for the general public. And we fell into that category. But I was an experienced investigator, so I could add that element into it. And I only worked with experienced investigators and psychics who were brought into these events to give it that legitimacy, to give it that reputation. But, I mean, those purists, they gave us a hard time. I mean, you talk about trolls on the Internet now with social media. They were around back then, too. We had a message board on the website so people could come in and tell us what they thought. And then you get emails as well. Sometimes you get threats. I don't know if I ever got a death threat, but I would definitely get threats and, you know, be called all sorts of names. You do develop a thick skin being in this business. But it's just, you know, I tried to balance that to make it as legit, but also you want to entertain people. That's where it usually falls off the side of the cliff. (laughs) So this was the, you know, the slow nature of a real investigation versus the faster evening of only being there for about three hours to try and see stuff would occur. You have a larger crowd sometimes with that energy. You can make things happen. You got to kind of like stir the energy up in the building to make them happen. So it was balanced well. So that investigation, to answer the question, was that you had people with tools, they broke off in their own teams and communication devices, and at the end of the night, everybody come together and kind of give their feel on it, and that was how it ran. So an investigation there was almost like if you had multiple small teams all investigating at the same time, not shoulder to shoulder. Like you could go into a room and be by yourself. There was enough space for that. But also you had the smaller teams so that you, you know, had the different elements of the team. The psychic, the sensitive, the scientific, and the different types of tools could all be used at the same time. So it was robust. If I say anything, it was was almost advanced. An advanced version of investigation. Stuff's going to happen. It's going to happen in that moment. There's just so many ways to capture it. And I was always amazed at those ghost hunts for that reason. So it was like um, the -the over-the-top nature of, you know, marketing this didn't exist. You know, people came out for that legitimacy, and I think we brought it because of our background in investigation. We weren't like George, who was mostly a marketer. Again, very nice guy, and, you know, he brought some great things into the world, but you know it wasn't really the kind of element that we were. He partnered with us because he wanted that real element, and I think that's what we brought to it. He marketed it out to however he wanted to do it, and then he brought them along, and then we gave the realism. So the over-the-top nature uh, that marketing people put into it didn't exist at this event. It might have existed on his side, but it definitely didn't exist on our side. And throughout the entire night, we kept control over the event. You know, I myself, I was kind of like the main guy who tried to keep control over it from a standpoint of giving the, you know, the customer the experience that they deserved. And then um, from that point as the host, as the documenter, I could then control the situation. Again, I I was less experienced back then, so you know definitely not how i'd run it today but i think it went well overall so yeah to give an idea what the investigation was like laid back in a way but then it was also effective because we weren't the only ones to have experiences inside that building it was it was energetic in that regard anyway that's the show this week everyone if you enjoyed the show please do me a favor leave a review Apple, Spotify, Google, I don't care. However you listen, just tell people what you think. It helps me out greatly, and I'll appreciate you for it. I appreciate every single one of you. Thanks, and I'll talk to you on The Spirit Show on Monday.